Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. In today's discussion with Macha Pornini about addressing humanitarian crisis prevention and response. I'm John Zippero, the club's vice president of media and editorial and Michelle's co-host. Now at the Commonwealth Club, we're producing hundreds of programs a year on a wide variety of issues, online as well as many in-person programs. So head over to commonwealthclub.org for more upcoming programs as well as video and audio of our past events. If you're watching us live on YouTube, add your questions to the chat box and we'll try to work some of them into our conversation here today. Now, let's meet Michelle Miao. She's the producer and host of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Hello, Michelle. Tell us where you are today. <laughs> Hi, John. It's so nice to see you and thank you all for joining us for this program. I know it's your afternoon in the San Francisco Bay Area, but for me, it's 2.30 in the morning in Thailand. I'm currently in Udon Thani visiting my wife's family and uh, have many, many, many things to report. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us for this special program. I'm so excited to have our speaker with us in which it's also 2.30 in the morning for her. Uh, our speaker is a, a lesbian, a feminist, human rights defender, passionately committed to building people's movements to advance human rights and justice. She has 15 years of experience working to empower youth and people from the most marginalized communities, including LGBTQ, indigenous, ethnic minorities, young women and girls, the stateless, undocumented refugees, and more. She is the founder and executive director of the Sangsan Anyakot Yawachon Development Project. Let's welcome Macha Pornin to the program. Macha, welcome, so, and thank you so much for being awake for this program. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I am also not at home now. I also in Chiang Rai province, uh, doing some work here in the border as well. Uh, I'm really glad to be a part of a really important conversations, and thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, so why don't we, what, I think a good place to start is understanding, you know, the, the critical work that you do, but also where. We're talking about the border of Myanmar and Thailand, and so let's talk about, you know, what, what ethnic groups are affected and how, and I know that this is a situation that spans over 30 years, and so we can't get into the entire 30-year process, but if you could at least give us your experience, that would be great. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, I need to um, tell the context that I am working with. Um, I started to work uh, when I was a student in university. I did the research, and at that time, 17 years ago, I went to the school and surprisingly that a lot of uh, students are so uh, lost their confidence, uh, unable to speak out loud about what they want. And I have the question, what happened? And then dig into that situation, a lot of indigenous people in Thailand for to live at the school because uh, the school do not uh, the village don't have any kind of the school they need to travel to stay so far away from their home and therefore a lot of um, um human right um situation child rights situation uh uh happen at the school because some of them went to this kind of school since they are six years old and in Thailand, uh, we have a big issue around social uh, racial discriminations. Uh, 
indigenous people unable to speak their languages in the school and teacher uh, uh, try to brainwashing meaning that they're not allowed students to wear to dress their indigenous clothes and that's you know happened and and at that time in the school there is some student who don't have the Thai citizens and I started to realize that there is some systematic problem against the indigenous uh, human rights. Therefore, um, I sitting and talking with the student and went to their home and see the real situation that this is the war zone because the, the armed conflict is ongoing for nearly 70 years, is the longest war in the world. But because of racial discrimination, Thailand also never acknowledged that this is the war that impacts both sides of the river, so-called Salawin River. And then one student came to me and said that, I am unable to continue my education because I don't have any money. My mother and my father are unable to support me. And then I just, okay, let's try to seek for scholarship for you. And then that is my journey started. You know, I'm trying to providing the scholarship for students who are in need, mostly are LGBTIQ and women. And I found that if my student went back home and they never returned to the school, within two years, they will marry, no matter how old they are. Therefore, the scholarship will prevent them to being a mom when they was just teenagers. And then I found a lot of situation that happened. For example, um, Thailand do not acknowledge that we have indigenous people. Thai government call everyone have different ethnic city, that's it. Therefore, a lot of human rights instruments do not mean to protect that indigenous people and they don't have any land title. Right to land is impossible, meaning that where they are live and stay now, the Thai government can just like force them to leave. And then a lot of law and policy that should be mean to protect, that should be protected the people. Finally, it's been, um, um, abuse the indigenous people. For example, we have the um, the the national park law, which is meant to preserve the um, the forest. But a lot of indigenous people who stay there in the historical unable to continuing their own practices in terms of culture and also agriculture. Um, the poverty is the big issue of the indigenous people in Thailand. And when they are unable to acknowledge at the Thais and they don't have the Thai citizen, meaning that many rights restricted, they are unable to travel freely, unable to access to job. And when they went to the hospital or need to access to healthcare system, um, they need to pay. And there is no infrastructure uh, settings. For example, this is the raining season. Some of my students need to take helicopters that they can travel back home. So this is happened in Thailand and a lot of girls who are unable to pay for the pet, you know, when they have menstruation, they cannot go to school. So this is the, the journeys of my work. And then along time Myanmar border, this um, this situations is not get support from the Thai government because the Thai government do not acknowledge that 
one level indigenous people is existing. Second, many of them don't have the Thai citizens. When you were younger, did you kind of foresee this would be a, a focus of your work or was it just as you kind of got involved in it that, that you, you found yourself more and more interested in it? Meaning were you kind of following these issues as you were younger? I think it's related to my, my story as well. I was born in the Thai Lao border and, and I faced the same thing that when I went to the school, the, the teacher not allow me to speak Lao. And then I also faced um, experience of, you know, for to leave the school when I was 12 years old and that my mom told me like, why don't you go to work in Bangkok because we are unable to support you. And then I need to fight um, for my future. I need to like walk eight kilometers forward and back like 16 kilometers just to access to education. And I don't have, any support from the government and I need to pay for everything, meaning that since I was nine years old, I work at a child labor to earn like 30 a baht, which is $1 a day that uh, in the weekend that I can have the money to, to go to, to went to the school. And I just felt like if the girl can access to education as she will change her life and she will she can also change the other people's life as well. So I, when I complete university, my my goal is to to empower um, the woman and the young girl who who will experience something like me, fight hardly just to go to the school. I think the school should be you know accessible and also provided all need for girl and LGBTIQ, but I, I not experienced that. I need to fight for myself. And therefore, when I went to the school and I found girl, you know, not confident or they unable to explain who they are and what they want, I just felt like, no, we need to do something about it. And that is the, the how it's related. And then my my ability at that time is just, you know, small thing that I did, I providing 30 students with a scholarship. And the next year I got more support. I providing like 300 scholarship for students. And then 15 years we completed to support a thousand of them to complete high school and nearly hundred of them went to university. And now many of them return home at the the, the, the chain makers and some of my students became, you know, NGO and some are working in health sector to improve accessible to indigenous people, for example. So this is, a, you know, for a little dream and become bigger. And now what we need to change is that how we can change the situation of indigenous people in Thailand when the law do not protect them. And, and more and more, we learn that this situation happened all over the world. And women and LGBTIQ also face the other barrier. And then we address the other issues, like how we can bring in holistic approach, included human rights and also gender perspective and mean to protect it also LGBTIQ as well. It's impressive the work that you do and continue to do and, and, and also the lives that you've impacted um, the, I can hear, you know, in your answers, the very clear and glaring gender disparities 
uh, within, you know, in, in Thailand or especially right at, at the border and the people that you service that you had mentioned, could you explain and give us some context as to why women or young girls are treated differently and how the differences or the differential in treatment affects the lives of young girls and or women? Um, I think overall context impacted indigenous people equally. For example, when they do, don't have land, meaning that everyone needs to find way to survive and women did. But at on, uh, based on gender's um, role, women are grounded with the belief that she needs to nurture everyone at home meaning when everyone hungry, women need to find way to fulfill the stomach of everyone. For example, during the COVID-19, we found that women ate only two meals so that they can give the third meal to her child. And women need to take care of not only herself during the, uh, you know, the armed conflict or attacks. Women need to carry, you know, elderly and, you know, her child along with her. Therefore, if she cannot carry all of them, meaning that she need to be there. And when everyone run away from the attacks, women still at home with fear. And this is reflected that women face the gender-based violence based on the, the expectations and responsibility related to the gender role that rooted by patriarchy. Women are controlling by society started from her body. Our women unable to decide when she want to marry, but the context made her decision to marry even she was 15 years old or late and when uh, younger than 20 years old and at that context she lost her educations future of education and when she become mom when she's so young many of them have like eight child and when she being the stateless meaning that she unable to travel or exit to job and the land that she own now not allow her to work because the national park law restricted all the human activity, meaning that the people here are able even to plant right to eat. And women stay to the forest to pick the bamboo shoes or mushroom during the rainy season, but now it's restricted. Meaning that women need to pick up that with fear when the man can deny it because he can say, I'm scared, it's illegal in Thailand to went to the forest and get the bamboo shoot. I can arrest it. Women also face that situation, but she needs to go because it's nothing to eat. So this is show us clearly that in the same context, yes, she faced it samely, but her experience different. And she carry out, it's not only herself, but the others. So this is a gender-based violence. And how, what it's happened if that woman also being LGBTIQ. We found that many of our young people, when she told their family or their community that they are being LGBTIQ, they faced a lot of discrimination started from home. Our young people faced 
domestic violence, you know, and also um, some of them are forced to marriage, so-called corrective rape. And then um, she will not save if she want to explain who she is. So she need to, you know, she unable to stay at the community. And in Thailand, we don't have um, any law to protect that LGBTIQ, meaning that marriage equality is impossible. Um, changing the gender markers uh, or gender recognition law is also not existing. And bullying at the school is number two of the world, meaning that based on your racial ethnicities, your abilities, your body, your sexual orientations, targeted by the other student and the school don't have any kind of special um, to protect the child. And therefore a lot of LGBTIQ lost their education in one hand because of family do not support it. But on the other hand, the hostile environmental in the school as well. A lot of transgender young people who are staying in the dorm, which is only two dorms. One is for girl and the other is for boy, meaning that based on your sex at birth. And then a lot of transgender uh, women face uh, sexual abuse or sexual harassment because she's, she's surrounded by boy. And then um, the teacher just, you know, make it kind of um, not acknowledge that there are the need to make it more inclusive. This has happened to our uh, LGBTI here. And during the disaster or even the COVID-19 situation, our LGBTI here also blame that we are, you know, bringing some bad luck to the communities, or we are, you know, bringing COVID nineteen to the community. So this is something that that happened because of a lot of stigmatized, and then we do not protect it in one hand, but on the other hand, we also blame for something that we not do it. As I mean, Thailand's gone through some tremendous political changes over the past couple decades. Um, is the situation like that, like you just described for LGBTQI and other other uh, ethnic and 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 gender minorities and 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 marginalized groups, has that remained the same? Has it, are there any trends to address some of these issues you're talking about that would kind of be hopeful, or has it even gotten worse as you know things have gotten kind of disruptive politically? I think this is also uh, the question uh, for of us here that now the young generation fighting for their dignity and freedoms. Um, in uh, global movement is led by the young people in Thailand as well. Um, young, democrat young democratic movement led by the young people and they are the hope. Therefore in Thai context now, when you went to the school and asking, do you, support the marriage equality. A lot of young people who don't access to information, they can easily say no. But suddenly if you're providing them with the information or training, you will get support. And therefore the young people are now more open-minded to acceptance LGBTIQ if they can accessible to information. Therefore, you know, we can saying that we are now in the context that we are hope, we have the hope because we are fighting together with the young people. 
And this is the first time ever in Thailand that the movement included the sex workers, included indigenous people, included LGBTIQ in the movement, and we are in solidarity, support each other. A years ago, Thailand just passed the abortion law, meaning that they allow women to access to abortions with before is a big uh, is crimination woman. However, this also is not 100% freely. They are restricted only three weeks, for example. And the young generation, they are fighting for, you know, right to abortion, meaning that you cannot restrict it by, you know, month that woman pregnant. And also a lot of indigenous people impacted by the policy that grabbing the national resource and land. And the young people are fighting for that. So I think this is uh, the first time ever that the situation is still the same because we are controlling by the government who are oppressing the people. But what is different is that the people are awakening. We are seek for dignity and human rights and democracy. And this is the region movement because this also happened in Myanmar. It's also happened in the other parts of the world that we need the government that um, being, that's working for the people, not uh, operate the people. Certainly inspiring to listen to considering the United States' most recent rollback on women's rights. Um, let's talk about you know, the fact that there, there is a, a global movement and there's attention being paid uh, even from, say, for example, NGOs and their interest in going into several different types of countries to expand on LGBTQIA plus rights, to expand on women's rights. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that has helped a small organization like yours? And then of course, on the other hand, how you know it probably can do better or what we need to be paying attention to in order to fill some gaps that small organizations like yours may be experiencing? I can explain throughout my experience during the COVID-19 to go back like nearly three years ago, uh, we ran out of support, meaning that at that time I need to considering to stop working because we unable to access to funding anymore. And then um, the COVID-19 impact to everyone, included the community that we are working with and ourselves. A young indigenous woman who we are working with for many years came to tell us that my people have nothing to eat. So I told her that, okay, let's just came to how by house and talking to the people at least to listen what happened because at that time we unable to travel. So then we collecting the story and finally bring that story to dialogue with the local government. And we show them the, the informations 
and the reality faced by indigenous people, children, and also LGBTIQ, that they are facing hunger, that they are unable to access to any mask, you know, and they are unable to travel, meaning that, you know, even travel to the forest to pick up the food the, is restricted. And some of our members, you know, commit suicide, and you need to do something. And the local government denied to do something about it. So we went to the parliaments. I was read the statements and describe about what happened to the community and seeking for support from the government, at least like food, you know, or cats that actually the government providing for Thai people, but this is not considered at the Thai and no citizen, they're not providing anything. A year later, the Thai government started to provide a very really small package of food for them. It take a year. But however, this is show that, you know, when we have nothing, but we have the people who care each other, we started our journeys. Three years later, which is now, I got funding. I have enough support to starting, you know, the program that mean to that aim to empower the young people. I got support to do the COVID-19 research that impact everyone. But what happened when the women and LGBTIQ who don't have the citizenship face it and what that demand and how we can advance in that situation to make it better accessible to you know, um, health and services, access to vaccination, unable to travel, but how we can, you know, use the technologies, you know, still empower, possible to empower the woman. And this is impossible without support at the global level because this government do not care the people that we are working with. So, I mean, the concept of how we are possible to work in this situation is the collaborations and put the people at the heart of developments and let them be a part of this journey together. Our project led by young indigenous who are defining as lesbian, bisexuals and transgenders. And then we working together, not only advancing the right of their community, but we are now went to the regional level we discuss about you know the impact of the COVID nineteen to indigenous people in this region when the government deny, you know what we demand, and it's become a global movement. As you say, a lot of people who are marginalized now fight each other and started to demand their rights in the local level, national level, and it's tackled the global global inequality, we found that we have inequality not among the people, not among the country, but also among the um, global south and global north. And this is the time for us, how we can change from inequality to equality, that we are listening to the people who are most marginalized based on genders and also SOGI. We found that women and LGBTIQ are left behind in the movement for so long. But now, if you go to Thailand and other countries, you will see a lot of young LGBTIQ are less the movement that we are so proud. But we need to support 
this movement and nurture it. This is also the other second issue that I want to talking about. We not, do not only ensure women and LGBTIQ participation, but also young people to be a leader with full support and make their voice heard and make decision-making process involving young people. Where, if, if, what can you tell us, who's, who's supporting you and, and how can people who are watching this and listening to this on podcast, how can they help you if they want to? I was um, the LGBTIQ uh, outspoke about marriage equality, uh, outstanding to working, advancing women human rights. And then I use my own social media to talking to to share about what I am doing. And even I have been acknowledged at one of the five lesbian, you should know in the global you know website or something. But in Thailand, not much people knowing me. Um, on one hand, when I'm working with indigenous people, the movement questioning that, yes, but you are working on LGBTIQ issues. And then when I'm working on advancing women human rights, they say, yes, your women human rights is the young people. You should join the you know, youth movement. And then when we are you know, involving the youth movement, they say, but Machia, you are eight, over 35. You know, you are not young anymore. So, you know, the intersectionalities, meaning that we are working in, in all issues that related to the livelihood and also related to live reality of, you know, our people. But at the same time, the people are being at, you know, to the other side, like you are not a part of art. And that is how we can collectively, you know, started our journey with all the marginalized people that face the same thing, including disability, migrant workers, refugees, and also sex workers. And then this work have been ongoing for nearly 10 years without support. And before the COVID-19, we kind of stopped because there's no support at all. It's only ourselves to speak. The Thai society do not acknowledge that. We have faced this for many years, and this is not only happened in Thailand, we found in the global level, women-led organization unable to access to funding and her work in intersectionality. But the donor targeted to some issue that they are interested. So we never comply with the regulation. For example, they will fund me if I resist it. But imagine, you know, we never access to any fund, even for hiring the staff. And how can we register it at the foundation? And then we can, you know, apply to the funding. So this is a lot of obstacle for LGBTIQ and women-led organization to access to funding. However, this has been heard at the global level that women-led organization exceed only one percentage of the fund. And how we can increasing that. The feminist-led uh, organization started to try to tackle the inequality in global level and now have specific funding to the country in need, but at the same time to the organization in need. Therefore, you know, 
um, the donors started to change their regulation. For example, they do not restriction that we need to register it and then apply their funding. Now it's like, you no need to register it, but you can apply to the funding. And then overall, we have the movement that we are nurtured for so long. We are so clearly that the work that we do and they are now support us. For example, um, Foundation for Just Societies, um, the IFS, which is the based in USA, and also uh, some embassy in Thailand, including Switzerland embassies, and also USA embassy also support our work for the first time ever. Like I had mentioned before, listening to you um, is quite inspiring and considered, you know, for many of us in the United States, worried about the state of the situation for equal rights, especially women's rights, LGBTQIA plus rights. Um, so for you to acknowledge, you know, the, the youth movement, which John and I had been privileged and honored to interview in the last few years, even during the lockdown, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, especially about the youth movement, their response, not giving up, regardless of where these superpower countries want to go in reversing our rights or continuing and or continuing, you know, the oppression. And I'd really like for you to, to say something about to, you know, especially the folks who are scared, you know, are scared at where we're at right now politically and in some countries, right, almost at the brink of an economic collapse and political turmoil. But there is something about the youth movement I think we really need to pay attention to. Yeah, um, I need to reclaim that actually I, um, the heart of my work is the young people and the name of organization support young people to create their own futures. And clearly, you know, during the COVID-19, how it's important working with the young people. I just so upset about the situation and I started to thinking of my young friends, which is the feminist-led organization as well. Three of us just called, we assume, and asking, what can we do, darling, for this situation? And three of us saying that, okay, let's just use the social media to connect the young people. We started the feminist school, which actually, we we possible to empower a um, hundred young feminists in Thailand during two years of the COVID nineteen impact. We use the online platform, and after that, you know, a hundred of them became a really strong activist. Many of them are now led the democratic movement, and many are fighting for right to abortion. And some of them involving with indigenous people movement even they are not defining at indigenous people. So I think this is clearly that, you know, when we are listening to the young people, what they want. And if we have, you know, solidarity and support and the bigger work is possible and the bigger movement is possible, what is the, this young people movement now doing? The democracy movement is very patriarchal. 
and a lot of LGBTIQ women face sexual harassment within the movement. So they are now not only fighting for democracy, but they are fighting for inclusively for everyone equally. So I think um, this this also show us that. The problem why we are so conservative or why we are so moving slowly because of the people in power do not allow you know marginalized people to involve it, do not allow the young people to involve with the developments and to involve with democracy uh, and also to involve with the government. In Thailand, you know, less than 20% is the women in parliament, and only a few of them are LGBTIQ. And as you see, marriage equality is impossible. A lot of law is still conservative. For example, the young people possible to election when the age at 18, and now they demand the age at 15. And young people, you know, demand um, um, child right protection at the school because they are facing um, um, a lot of abuse by their own teachers. So I think all of that happened because of young people are connected each other with the social media. But what's the rate that we need to do? We need to improve, you know, uh, the securities, and we need to improve the concept of, you know, internet well-being because many of them who are fighting for human rights and face it a lot of hostile environmental and they face it, you know, the mental issue. And now how we can show them that we can use the social media to advocate, but at the same time to empower ourselves. But how about well-being? What is well-being look like? And how we can make it secure for everyone when we use the internet? And a lot of feminists are now targeted and attacked. There are entire feminists organized in the online and how we can connect each other and fight to combat uh, you know, the anti-feminists because we are not only working to development, the democracy, human rights, but at the same time, improve, you know, the homophobia that nurture a lot of young activists and become so homophobic. And how we can change that? I think this is the key that working with the young people, but also there is the gap that we need to change. We need to fulfill that barrier to ensure that young people are less the movement with full support and also something that we need to fighting with them, not only let this movement alone. We see around the world and in, in every culture, every uh, religious uh, areas, uh, you know, whether it's Hindus in, in, in India, uh, in the United States, both Christians and others, um, Muslims, Turkey, I mean, all, all over, where the, the religious organizations will be playing pretty significant roles in these very issues that you're talking about, often on, on you know, different groups within the same faiths on different sides of it. Can you talk a bit about, you know, the positive or negative roles that religious groups are playing in the areas in the, and in the region that, that you're addressing? Sure. Um, same in USA, when we are trying to demand right to family, meaning that we are fighting for marriage equalities, we are facing, you know, anti this law, this movement, um, both from um, Christians who use the religion as a tool 
to against uh, this movement and also uh, Muslims who are organized and also um, saying that we unable to accept if we pass this law or if this movement is growing. And, uh, but however, you know, that is also the heart of the change. We are aligned with the um, um, religion leaders who are support LGBTIQ right? And some, some uh, conversation is happening. Uh, we have the, uh, the monk who are support abortion. We have a monk who are support LGBTIQ right? And we have the Christian group who are providing the safe space for LGBTIQ. But at the same time, there are some Muslim leaders who are now started to dialogue about you know what they believe and how we can living in harmonies and ensure that what we believe is not against the LGBTIQ right, it's not against the women rights. And this is the process of the change. Uh, yes, uh, we are attacks. Uh, yes, we are um, still fighting, but um, this change is also not only happened in Thailand, but it's globally. And we have the network of uh, religions and belief who are organized for support LGBTIQ movement. So I think, but 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 also, you know, this is also a really small movement, meaning that we need to expand this to um, to connect it with the other movement. For example. Uh, environmental justice movement, economic justice movement, and feminist movement. So all of that is uh, intersectionality. And this is clearly that when the COVID-19 impact, this growing sky of stop and face it backlash because of we unable to organize and come together and online platform really limitations. So this also the challenging that we are facing now. And we are kind of, you know, get exciting that we got vaccination and we can, you know, possible to, you know, take off the mask for a little bit and started to organize again. But now it's came again, it's come again. So I think, this is a really important moment to come back to think about how we can still build a really strong movement with this context. And based on my work, we found that we take two years in online, we connected globally, but it's unable to fulfill the physical connected. And I met uh, Michelle before in online, and finally, she flew to Thailand. We have the body, you know, and physically and sitting together for, you know, three hours and we become really real connected. So I think physical space is still needed as much. And you know what, in global level, there is a lot of conversation ongoing and they make decisions without participation from the global South because we are unable to travel. And our vaccine is unaccepted for many countries, for example. So this is the time that, you know, we need to reconnect with the physical platform and also allow us to be a human being sitting together and talking about, you know, what needs the most and how we can, you know, gain that support and ensure that everyone now 
moving together. And we face the other issue like, you know, the economic crisis. And we see from Sri Lanka, we see from many countries, and it will impact Thailand and it will impact the other country. And the conversation needs to be happened. And it's not online, but physical. That needs the most. Processing so much from our conversation right now. And uh, I will have to say, yes, my trip to Southeast Asia certainly changed me and it's, it's changed my perspective. And it's so important to listen and hear and meet other people, other cultures and what's going on. What is your... What are your thoughts in terms of the biggest opportunity to address gender equity and LGBTQIA plus rights from an intersectional perspective? And um, what I mean by that is, you know, when we clump all of the oppression together between the religious oppression, the political oppression, the economic oppression, and just the very straightforward, you know, pure hatred of one group to another, um, uh, whether it's racial or LGBTQIA+. Do you think that it's it's education that most people need? I'd love to hear for your thoughts since you, you know your your work is in the youth movement, but also grassroots and in the trenches. This has become a really um, uh, heart of the change. Um, because uh, a lot of people try to argue, you know, how we can include that, you know, LGBTIQ or how we can include that woman. And then finally, they put the body, you know, without the equal space and equal decision making process. And, but then you arguing like, Yes, the woman is there and she don't say what she wants in, in some particular uh, situation, like uh, in our work, women do not participation of the meeting with the local level because the culture told that women need to be at home and take care of everyone. And then we finally empower the woman and women sitting there and normally the conversations about developments or kind of decision-making process is only about the male voice, no woman voice. And then suddenly women saying that we do not only demand infrastructures for our community, but a lot of women are unable to go to school and some of them unable to go to the hospital because she cannot speak. And we need to ask the man if we need to go to the hospital because the men also speak Thai better than the woman. The woman unable to speak Thai and she needs the man to go with her. So this is inequality that we are facing and we demand the local government to support, you know, small funding for us to empower our women. And then we can, you know, working to develop our community. And it's become also the question of the other level of the movement, for example, environmental movements, which is left behind the women. 
and many of the women and young LGBTIQ who are participation in that movement faces sexual harassment or unable to equally make decision making, unable to access to funding or have a gender role to prevent her to equal participation, for example. And now we are asking like what need to be changed and how the change will be looked like. First, equal space. Second, equal support. Third, we need to have an equal to make decisions based on what it will impact us. If democracy impact women and where is the woman um, in the parliaments, how the numbers, we can see even we have equal number, is she support to speak about abortion? Is she, is she get support to fighting for um, decriminalized state workers? Is LGBTIQ at the parliament got support to fight for marriage equality? Therefore, alliance or solidarity is also need to be gained from our movement. So I think this is the heart that when we're talking about inclusion of gender perspective and LGBTIQ inclusive sensitivity, meaning not only we are there, but equally take the space and take the space to make decision based on our life. For example, marriage equality in Thailand now, is it not involve LGBTIQ, the law, we will not mean for us. If abortions law pass under the hand of the doctors and they do not allow the woman to speak about the experience and the needs, what that law look like is like the law now that we are still not unable to accept that. And even the law pass, a lot of doctors do not providing their medical support to the woman who, do, who want to abortion look, you know, meaning that the participation, support, and also decision-making process that need to be involved, that the real change will be happen, and who bringing that movement, feminist, because we're not only talking about right to abortion led to our body, led to our um, um, sexual sexual reproductive health and right, but the feminine also talking about the context and the complexities of, um, you know, COVID-19 situation of, um, you know, um, the disasters of, um, you know, ongoing um, conflict. So the feminist perspective also tackle the inequality faced by um, women and also marginalized. Therefore, all together, we have the identity, we have, you know, the power to reclaiming the rights, and we have the young people to support this. And then this is a more sustainable movement, and this is for everyone. You've mentioned a couple times the uh, importance to increase the number of women who are in legislatures, as well as the number of women in legislators who, who are willing to push these issues raises the obvious question of, do you foresee a future uh, for yourself as a 
politician as an office holder as someone who would be in parliament or some other official elected position um um in thailand before election last election i was also invited from some um party um to join them at that time i think that i will support all the legislations and use the human rights feminist and also soji perspective meaning that i will be able to working for all parties at that term not yet but the future i will involve with the parliament in any position that possible uh, because finally we not only wonder working for improve the democracy but we need to improve the livelihoods of marginalized people and if we don't have the representation in that parliament and how it will be possible so i will in nearly future you will see that much of for world president if there is one um ever in our lifetime uh you know i i thank you so much for your answer to my last question which obviously you know it's beyond education and what i'm hearing is that it really needs to be the passage of power onto the folks that really need to to be making the decisions that affect our lives those are some really tangible examples of how we make change and how we sustain the movement now with all this very important work there's one um one voice or one story that we're not hearing from and and that that is yours you know we talked a lot about how the the youth have gotten their voice out how people have responded to the youth and while we have a few minutes left i'd love to hear you know how how have you been what has been the response to your work uh when it becomes especially highlighted and then how do you take care of yourself yeah um i used my own privilege to speak about you know a lot of issue but at the same time myself also faced a really difficulty for example 60 years ago um the neighborhood uh, came to my house and started to burn six times in 10 days i was threatened by the local people because i being lgbti here and you know staying there and after that i lost my home meaning that i am not safe at home anymore and i need to rent a house for 60 years and it costs a lot and then my daughter and i my my partner and my wife we are advocate for marriage equality and my daughter was faced a lot of bullying at the school when she spoke about a right of the child of the rainbow family and she now became a asian girl human right award like 2 years ago and working for protections of the students uh, when their mothers or fathers do not acknowledge by you know law equally because of their being lgbtiq and during the covid-19 situation when i ran out of the funding i spent all of my saving is a life saving to work 
and my work still possible. And then I started to running because I felt that a lot of my friends faced the mental issues. And I would like to show him that, you know, running is will save our lives. And now I became a runner. I become a trail runner. And my daughter just won the first place, became a runner as well. So it started from the beginning. She was crying when we went to the mountain because she's tired, she don't want to go. But now she runs faster than me. So I would, I would like to say that, you know, standing for different human rights, we face a lot of difficulty, but this, this human being needs support. And I have a really good luck that I have family, meaning my wife and my daughter who are really supportive. And I have some friends who are facing a really difficulty, but we still being a safe space for each other. And I got some friends who are in the other country like you to invite me to speak and to make me spoke about what happened, but at the same time, what we demand. And that saved my life. And this, it saved a lot of people's life. And I felt the friendship, I felt the support. And I am sure that many of you are inspired and you asking me like, what can we, we do next? For example, the prize is not happened in many contexts because of homophobia, because of you know, the male-led movement do not allow even women movement to accept funding to march during the women march on the 8th of March and also in the prime months. So we are demand that space in global level, and we want to nurture the indigenous pride, which also included in the mainstream pie, but also the pride need to be happen in the community with their full consent and with their full ability and power to include that LGBTIQ and nurture this and become a really strong movement. My life uh, is not only about work. My life is also about funny. It's also about running. It's also about friendship. And I found it's here. And I try to show the young people as well that working in this past is really difficult, but we can be wealthy. And I want to show them that we can do it we can change this situation for human rights defenders and they can become a human rights defender with really sustain. And the outcome is my daughters, as you see, from crying of running became a first place when she ran. Thank you. You, you work to advance human rights and empower marginalized. And I'll admit these days, you know, just following the news, it can be very dispiriting to, to you know, to see everything that's happening and to see all the forces that are arrayed against uh, so many people. Um, what's your outlook for this? Are you optimistic? Um, it's obviously work that, that needs to be done that you're doing. Are you optimistic that things are going to get better or are getting better? Or what do you think right now? I think the context is made at moving not fast, at fast, it should be, but 
is also the key that we are not walking alone. We need to walk in together. We are slowly because of the context, but our approach is really developed. And, you know, uh, that is so clearly that our movement is started from included individuals who are care and who are aimed to changing our life, but it's collectively, meaning that it's not only for myself, but from our communities. And now it's become, it's not only for our community only, but for our nations. And our nation is not nationalist, but nation means that global citizens, a lot of young people saying that, no, 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 it's not about nation, it's about the globally. So I think, I, I mean, this is the, the, the answer that we are stronger than ever, even the context is really difficult. And this is a time that we are hold hand tiny because of some people who are holding the power, they have the power to fight us back, but we also fight them back and we never give up. This is something, you know, we never give up and we always win because of we are represent the voice of the people who have led power, but we want to change the power relations. We want to make this power to the people, not to the money, not to you know, serve the nationalist ideas, not to growing the homophobic, and then, you know, as you see, I am not only the example, but, you know, everyone can be the example of change. And we are not individual for change. We are collectively for change. Macha, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing your work and um, just like you said, you know, I'm sure that most who are tuning in are inspired and they want to do something. So our final question for you is how do people get in contact with you? I mentioned earlier in your introduction that the organization that you work with, Sangsan Anyakot Yawachon Development Project, um, that is the organization you work with. However, I'm sure of it that somebody is going to ask, how do I look it up? Thank you so much. Uh, searching my name, I speak a lot of uh, issue regard to the human rights situation in Thailand and also advancing human rights for LGBTIQ people, even globally. Yes, my name will turn what I am doing, but also my organization. Um, we uh, have Facebook page and you can send the message to us and then we will respond. But on the other hand, we enjoy the LGBTIQ movement, meaning that, you know, if you are, you know, organize some events or some, for example, we have the Yuga Asia, we have a Yuga world, we have the Pride world, uh, you know, you can invite that art to join. And you follow us via Facebook and also by email, which is the same name, sangsango at gmail.com. Uh, we are still develop our website and others and we'll be informed later when it's done and that you can follow us. 
and you find me here through Michelle's as well. Yes, thank you. I will know how to track down Matcha. Well, thank you to all of you who are tuning in to this special program at the Commonwealth Club of California, especially during my time in Thailand and learning from so many folks like Macha. So Macha Pornin, who's the executive director of the organization we had just mentioned, Sangsan Anyakot Yawachun. And I pass it back on to John for the final words. Well, thank you again to our special guest on today's program. Last but not least, thanks to all of you watching or listening to this program. You can find more programs at commonwealthclub.org. Stay safe and have a good weekend.